Now, there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. They're talking about current events. Death, that's what they're talking about. That's, that's kind of what people talk about today, right? The current events, death all around us. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then he told this parable. Brianna read this for us. A man who had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. Now, how many of you, if you planted an apple tree or a pear tree in your yard and you went out expecting to get the fruit, would be angry if there was no fruit? In fact, if it had brought you fruit year after year after year after year, but on this one particular year, it didn't, and then another year, it didn't, and then another year, it didn't, would you probably just cut it down so you could plant a new one? Yeah, seems like a good idea. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. A common myth in our society, Christianity included, is that if you sin... Something bad is going to happen to you. God's going to get you. You ever heard that? That's not Christianity. It's more like karma. Among the people of Jesus' day, they had this belief as well that when bad things happen, it was because of sin in people's lives. But Jesus completely exposed it and he used the current events of his day to make a valid point. Pilate had murdered some Galileans while they were offering sacrifices. They were not worse sinners than others. But death is the end result of life. And unless you and I repent, we will also die. And the 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, um, did they do anything to deserve that? No. But unless you repent, you too will die. The people who are suffering in Ukraine right now because of war in their country when they didn't didn't want war, are they any worse sinners than you and I? No. But unless we repent, we're going to die. Or the people who died in the tornado, that's Ukraine, people who died in the tornado in Iowa just earlier this month, seven People, five adults, two children. Are they any worse sinners than you and me? No. But unless we repent, we're going to die. What's he getting at? What type of death is he talking about? Yes, we all die. He's talking about eternal death. If there's no repentance, there's no forgiveness of sins. And if there's no forgiveness of sins, there is only death after death. But hear the good news. We are good news people, aren't we? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who repent of their sins and who believe in one, in the one whom God has sent, 
receive forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. Then he tells us a parable of a barren fig tree. The fig tree is not bearing fruit. Three years of nothing. The owner wanted to cut it down. Something had to change. Let's either cut it down or let's try to heal it. And the caretaker said, let's leave it for a year. Let me dig around it and fertilize the roots. He wanted to try and heal it. Wouldn't it just be easier to cut it down and replant? God makes so many people. He creates so many people. Wouldn't it just be easy for God to just say, away with you. I'm done with you. I'm going to work. I'm going to focus my time and attention on other people who actually care what I have to say. But God's not like that. He's a caretaker. If it bears fruit, fine. But if not, then cut it down. The owner agreed. For people who are not bearing fruit, something has to change. Have you ever not borne fruit in your life? Sometimes I feel like that pretty often. In fact, I felt like that this week. Have you? We're all there. Something has to change. And repentance is the change. Repentance is the digging and the fertilizing. Repentance allows opportunity for new life. That's good news. And it's not just repentance like, oh, I'm going to make my life better. I'm going to read this self-help book and do my best to do better things. Yeah, you might get results with that. But really, if you are dead inside, there is nothing you can do to heal your deadness. The only way to be alive is to be alive in Christ. Because we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of God's glory. We are all in need of a Savior. So repent. The Greek word is metanoia, which means remorse, to turn about, to have a change of mind. There's an initial grievance at repentance, but then it leads to action. Repentance is never just saying, oh, I'm sorry. This mental agreement, I'm sorry. Repentance is always acting, doing, moving forward, living your life in a new way. The sign of repentance was baptism with water, as John the Baptist did. This is a baptism of repentance. The old has been buried, the new has been raised. That there are also actions that accompany the change of mind. So what's repentance look like? Let's look at John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3, 7 through 14. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him. Now, if you're wanting crowds to come to you and stay, you don't say these words. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? He's talking about the wrath of God. And he's speaking specifically to Pharisees in the crowd. People who thought that you could work your way into righteousness. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Then I think John the Baptist makes reference to an image that is closely related to Jesus' parables in Luke 13. Let's see what you think. Verse 9. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The crowd responded, what should we do then? 
Now notice repentance is not just thinking, I want to change, or I need to do something different. It comes first with the desire to do something. What should we do? John answered, the man who has two tunics. Here's a good example of repentance. The man who has two tunics should share with him who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and they said, teacher, what should we do? Here's how you repent. Don't collect any more than you are required to. Do your job and don't steal. And then some soldiers asked him, Notice the Pharisees aren't asking him. It's just common people, sinful people, everyday people, people who aren't following Jesus. What should we do? Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. That's a word for us. When a person repents... It's like a barren tree that is now enabled to produce fruit because of some work by the caretaker. And who is your caretaker? It's Jesus. What's the origin of repentance? How does repentance come about? Everything we do in worship is a response to what God has already done. So here's what God has already done. God is kind toward you and me. He's kind, he's gentle. Romans 2, 4 says this, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that it's God's kindness that leads you toward repentance? God is so kind to us. Why am I drawn to repent? Why am I drawn to change? Because God is kind. 2 Corinthians 7 says this. Here's our response. Godly sorrow brings repentance. Repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. You know you can be sorry for what you have done and it can be a worldly sorrow that still ends in death. But godly sorrow brings about the work of God in your life where the caretaker comes and he ministers and he digs around and he nurtures and nourishes. God's kindness leads to our repentance of having godly sorrow And then the result of repentance. The result is this. It leads to life. Acts 11 verse 18 says, So then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Not just Jews, but the nations. And this fits with Jesus' tragedy examples as well as his fig tree parable that even in the midst of death, there's life. Death is not the final say, but Jesus has the final say. The result of repentance is also a knowledge of the truth. 2 Timothy 2.26 says, they come to their senses, they escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Now, without Jesus, we can think that we're our own person, and free to do as we will. But without Jesus, we are truly trapped. We're not free. We're a slave to sin. 
But when God comes in his kindness, he awakens us to the reality that with him and only him do we have true freedom. This is the truth. And we can, with Jesus, escape the trap of the devil who has taken us captive and rather escape into the loving arms of Christ who has empowered us to do his will. This is the truth. And third, repentance, the result of repentance leads to freedom to do God's will. We're in the loving arms of Christ. So what's God's desire? God is kind and he wants all to come to repentance. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He's patient with you. Now, I, this past four or five weeks, I've been working on a Lindhouse basketball. And I've been teaching kids to play basketball. And it, I'm telling you, it takes a lot of patience to teach kids to play basketball, especially my own kids. The first practice, Micah would not even practice because he could not dribble. He's the youngest one. He's four years old. It's really five to ten, but he's the youngest one trying to dribble. He could not dribble. And he would just sit on the sidelines and pout. And my first response was, suck it up. Get out there. There's no crying in basketball. But I tried to be kind to him and gently shepherd him and Eventually, he got it and, and started playing. Now, we definitely had times where he'd pout again. But God's like that. We are such immature children that he's kind and he wants us to repent. He wants us to come to him and, and trust in him. He is patient with you, not, anyone to, not wanting anyone to perish. You know, God doesn't want you to die. God doesn't want death to be the final say in your life. He wants to come in and, and defeat death for you. He wants everyone to come to repentance. So repentance is more than I'm sorry. How many of you men have told your wife I'm sorry and then never changed? I'm still working on that. It's more than I'm sorry. Amen, women? Repentance is action. Acts 26, 20 says, The first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea, and and to the Gentiles also. So does that include everybody? Yeah. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. It leads to action. It fits with John's instruction to those who ask, What shall we do? The great intersection of faith and works. Faith without works is dead. But you're saved by faith, not by works. Don't you love that, that tension? But if you have Christ, he comes and lives inside you. There's obedience that follows. Because, because of Jesus' work on the cross, what shall I do? In light of his mercy, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Because of Jesus' presence in my life, what shall I do? How can I become like Jesus? That's the proper question. And I could list a bunch of things that we might need to repent of. We could be here all day. But here's simply one question that you could ask yourself when you go home today and have quiet times. Ask the Lord, what do I do that is not honoring to you, God? And reveal it to me. And then say, God, help me die to this 
Will you cleanse me and help me to honor you in all that I do? And I guarantee you that if you take that posture day after day after day after day, just like the caretaker who works around the tree, fruit will come about. And people will say to you, you seem different. What's going on? And you could tell them, well, Jesus is changing me. Jesus is changing me. If I humble myself before the Lord, God will come and heal me. And the message for all people, not just you in this room, but for every nation, is this message of repentance. The modern cultural message says, the modern cultural Christian message, and this sounds Christian, God loves you no matter what. His love never fails. His mercy never comes to an end. Is there anything wrong to that? No, that's all true. But it's short of complete truth. Because you could say God loves you, and you could also say, you could also leave out the truth that God died for you. Right? God loves you. Well, how does he love me? Oh, he just does. No, how? He took on human flesh. He suffered. He was nailed to a cross and he died. That's how much he loves you. Well, what should I do in response to that? Repent. That's the, full, that's the gospel there. He loves you. He loved the world so much that he sent his son. But sadly, I, I too often hear the, the truncated message of the gospel of God loves you without everything of how God loves us. This message of repentance is to to be preached to all nations. Then here's the modern American message. This has just been coming up in recent history, and I'm blown away by this. The modern American message is you need to do better. You're going to pay for your wrongdoing. Relationally, financially, socially, If you make one wrong move, there's no mercy for you, no grace. There's only justice. It's modern day Pharisees. The Pharisees are coming back and John is saying, you brood of vipers. In this modern American message, it's almost as if repentance is not truly possible. It's not possible. Once a sinner, always a sinner. Now, they may not use the term sinner, but once a racist, always a racist. Once a chauvinist, always a chauvinist. Once a abuser, always an abuser. Once, forgive me, I'll just stick with abuser. I was going to go a little further. Once a prisoner, always a prisoner. Once a thief, always a thief. You're going to pay for your wrongdoing. That's not good either. Here's the gospel. Jesus made a way and he provides holy space to repent. To be changed. And change is possible in Christ. Hope is real and present and new life is available in Christ. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he told his disciples to proclaim a message 
And here's the message. This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. This is Luke 24, 46. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So it's not just Jesus is going to make your life better. It's not just Jesus is going to give you a ticket to heaven. But Jesus' message is repentance and the outcome of someone who repents, the outcome of the one who turns to Jesus is forgiveness of sins, which leads to life. And then here's the next verse. After he says, you are witnesses of these things, he said, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. When any sort of awakening of the Holy Spirit in an individual or community or nation happens, the mark of that awakening is the people have a burning desire for God and repentance is always the companion of that desire. Isn't that fascinating? It would, anyone ever, anytime anyone burns for God, has a passion for God, repentance is always there next to it. It's included. Why is that? Here's the truth. Because you can't have all of God and stay the same. He loves you too much. If we are to be conformed to the image of Christ, without Christ, we cannot be that way. But with Christ, when he comes and takes residence and places this burning desire in our heart to have all of God, we cannot help but say, I'm not like you. Make me like you. I want to be like you, Jesus. So Jesus said, you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. And of course, Pentecost comes 50 days after the resurrection of Christ. In Acts 2, verse 37 Peter got up full of the Holy Spirit. He spoke this wonderful sermon, this wonderful message about Christ rising from the dead. And people realize he's different. And they hear this. It says, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? There it is again. And Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Just going to tell you a quick story. There's a missionary who passed away recently, a Methodist missionary, Dr. Wesley Duell. He shares a story in one of his books uh, from the Muktai Center in India. He tells a story of an evangelist named Ramabai who had been preaching to girls about the Holy Spirit. Now, she set up this house for girls and widows and really fought to educate women in India because she heard about Jesus. And so she was preaching to these girls about the Holy Spirit, and as these girls were praying together, seeking the Lord, they became filled with the Holy Spirit. And one morning, again they were praying, and fire descended upon one of the girls. And another girl saw it, 
by Pentecost. And she hurried to get water to put out the fire. But then she realized it was not fire as she knew it. It was the visible presence of the Holy Spirit. And the girl said to the other girls, she encouraged them to repent. The girl who had the fire on her said, repent. And she said, oh Lord, I am full of joy, but forgive me and cleanse my sisters just as you have forgiven me. Oh Lord, we must have revival. We must have it and begin it today. Now when I read that, I, to me it seems like Revival had already been happening and they didn't need to repent or be revived. But when you come in the presence of a holy God, it's just like Isaiah who said, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am the man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He's repenting. He knows that something needs to change and he can't even do it. But yet it's God who provides. And so the angel takes the coal from the, li- the live coal from the altar and he touches his lips. He needs fire. And John the Baptist said in Matthew 3, verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Many have repented and turned to Jesus. And if you and I have repented and turned to Jesus, we know that we belong to Christ. And many of us have been baptized with water as a sign that we have been cleansed from sin, buried with Christ, and raised new life with Christ, and are participants in his body, where one day we'll be resurrected from the dead. But even now, as we follow Jesus today, we must ask ourselves, do we, have, do we long to have a posture of repentance? Do we long to be baptized with fire from the Holy Spirit? And are we praying constantly for him to set us ablaze so that we not only have forgiveness of sins, but so that we also have pure hearts and, empower, and we're empowered to live holy lives given fully to God? And so, Lord, we repent of living our lives our way. We believe the gospel. And we ask that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit to live your way. For you, O Lord, are God and King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.